the date, if I'm correct, correct me if I'm wrong, is July the 23rd. Is that right? Is that correct? Oh, and it's also 79 degrees. All right, yeah, but that says Monday. Isn't today Tuesday? Okay, so today the date is July the 23rd. In the year of our Lord, 2019, the time is 6.54 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Tuesday night is the night I live for at camp. Tuesday night is the night that special things happen in this outdoor chapel. You can almost feel it, can't you? An air of anticipation in here. As holy angels surround this chapel, as God chooses tonight to touch the earth right here. Tuesday night is the night for which I was created to do what I'm doing right now. And Tuesday night, <laughs> so sweet, and Tuesday night is the night that God in his sovereignty brought all of us together to have a simple conversation. I almost feel like we've already shared enough that I don't need to paint another picture for you, but I will paint a little one if that's okay. I don't want there to be any sense of mystery about what tonight is all about. I am certainly not into manipulation at all. Jesus wasn't. When you read through the Gospels, Matthew, our old friend, Mark, and Luke, and John, you read of a Jesus who walked up and down the countryside, and as he saw certain individuals, he looked them in the eyes, he opened his arms for a warm embrace, and he said to them two words, which are the words that you will hear tonight from him through my lips, and those words are, follow me. No dimming of the lights, no weird music in the background, no smoke, no incense. Not that those things are bad, but when it comes to something like this, it's a transaction between you and him. Follow me. And I almost feel like I could extend to you that invitation now, and you already know enough that you would know what that means and you could make a choice either to say yes or to say no. Just like a prostitute who snuck up behind Jesus, burst into tears, anointed him with perfume paid for by her own money and washed his feet with her tears. She was so grateful for what he offered. And just like a tax collector, a guy named Levi, who when Jesus said, follow me, left a tax collector booth, said yes, followed him, and changed his name to Matthew. Well, you'll have that opportunity tonight. And as I give you that opportunity, let's start with words written down by our old friend Matthew. It's in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew Chapter 26, I want to read to you verse 36, and this sets the stage for Jesus painting a portrait. He was a painter too, Jesus was. 
He was very much into pictures. And what tonight is all about is painting a picture, a very vivid picture, a picture that he intended for his disciples never to forget. But you know what's so ironic? What is so ironic is that the picture that Jesus painted on this night, none of the disciples saw it. Do you know why they didn't see it? Because they fell asleep and didn't see it. But fortunately, Luke, who was an historian and a medical doctor, important you hear me say that, an historian and a medical doctor, he was not there when this happened, but he interviewed people who were. It could be one or more of the religious leaders who showed up. It could be one or more of the Roman soldiers who showed up. It could be a passerby who walked by, because this was done in a public setting, and saw it. Anyway, historian that he is, with the eye for detail that he had, the medical doctor historian records the picture for us. So we get to see tonight what the disciples missed. But it is a picture for the ages. It really began in the Old Testament 700 years before what I'm about to read to you. This is Matthew chapter 26. I want to read verse 36 in honor of God's word. If you would stand with me, please. And this is what we read. Are you ready? It'll mean very little to you now, but in a few minutes, it's going to mean a ton. Trust me. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. Does that do anything for you? It will. Trust me. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for bringing us together tonight. What an incredible night this is. I know that the holy angels are looking down from heaven, bending over to get a closer look, waiting in anticipation for what is about to happen. Thank you that after tonight, there will be lives here that will never be the same again. On this night, Tuesday night, July the 23rd, in the year of our Lord, 2019. We commit this night to you now, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. You just sang something that was very intriguing to me. I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but it was so intriguing to me, the words that you just sang, I wrote them down, and I want to read them to you to refresh your memory. And as you sang them, I would love to know what went through your mind. I wish I could read your mind. I can't. Aren't you relieved? But I would love to know, when you sang these words, what went through your mind? Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Are you overwhelmed by the weight of your sin? Did you ever stop to ask yourself, how much does my sin weigh? Would you agree with me? that we've all done bad things? 
Is that fair? Okay? The ground here is level. You're not better than me. I'm not better than you. We are in this thing together, and the ground is level. I've done a whole lot of bad things, and there are bad things lurking, no doubt, in the future because I'm human and I am imperfect. You would agree with me that you've done some bad things too? What do they weigh? Ever thought about that? You just sang it. Overwhelmed by the weight of my sin. Well, tonight I'm going to show you how much it weighs. 700 years B.C. What does that mean? Before Christ, before Jesus, the prophet Isaiah wrote these words. Just listen. He was writing prophecy. He was writing history before it happened. And he wrote about the very night about which we're talking, having to do with some weird word, a place Jesus took the disciples where they all fell asleep, called Gethsemane. Just listen to what Isaiah wrote. He, and we know who that he is, Jesus, he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed, crushed for our sins. He was beaten, beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped, whipped so that we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Now listen. Yet the Lord laid on him. Laid on him. That could be translated from the Hebrew, pressed on him the sins of us all. How much do those sins weigh? Every sin you have ever committed, every sin you may be committing now, I don't know, I can't read your mind, I don't know what you're thinking about, every sin you may commit in the future, multiplied by every person on this planet, multiplied by the thousands of years of human history, all of those sins gathered together and laid on or pressed on Jesus, how much do they weigh? All right, let's talk about this. And in order to talk about this, I'm not going to introduce you to a friend of mine real people who lived in real places, right? I'm not going to introduce you to any real people tonight, but I'm going to take you to a real place. And it is a place called Gethsemane. One of my favorite places in all of Jerusalem because of what the place means. And how I would love to take you there when we go there. We have someone with a guitar. We gather together under one of the olive trees we sing worship songs and it is 
an experience you would never forget. But that's not where the night started. The night was Thursday night. Let me orient you, all right? This is the last week of Jesus' life, uh, last week of his life, Thursday night. It is late Thursday night. We don't know exactly what time, except that it was before midnight, Thursday night. In less than 12 hours, Jesus will be nailed to the cross. Less than 12 hours. Six hours after that, Jesus will be dead. Jesus knew that this was his last night on earth. It was the season of the Passover. That's a story in itself. I won't belabor you tonight with the details of Passover, but it is an incredible Jewish festival, feast, celebration. Passover. And what happens every Passover in Jewish homes all around the world, including today, during Passover, it's about the same time as our Easter, every Jewish family throughout the world will gather together around a table and they will celebrate what they call a Passover Seder. A Seder is a fancy word that means a meal that follows a script. A meal that follows a script. It is done every single year by every single Jewish family around the world. And so for his last night with his disciples, he gathered them together to observe a Passover meal. They met in what is called in the Gospels the upper room. Everybody knew where that was, the upper room. The first gospel is named the gospel according to whom? Now Levi changed his name. The gospel according to Matthew. The second gospel is the gospel according to Mark. The upper room was where Mark lived with his mother. And they hosted the Seder in that upper room. As Jesus gathered with his 12 disciples for this final meal, he tried to warn them that he was less than 24 hours away from being killed, but they didn't want to believe it. They couldn't imagine life without Jesus. And the notion that he would be killed, let alone killed on a cross, let alone killed by a Roman, was unthinkable to them. But he tried to warn them as they shared this meal together. And in the middle of the meal, one of the disciples suddenly, without warning, jumped up from the table and ran out of the room. Anyone know what his name was? Judas. And do you know why Judas ran out of the room? He ran out of the room in order to betray Jesus, first to the religious leaders who would then hand him off to the Romans. Judas was done with Jesus. And for 30 pieces of silver, they bought his soul and convinced him to sell Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. So without warning, he jumped up from the table, ran out the door. The 11 remaining disciples had no idea what was going on. Jesus understood, and he said to his disciples, we need to leave. He knew he needed to leave because he knew that Judas was going to meet with a few of the religious leaders who would then go to the Romans 
and they were going to assemble a mob. The word that is used in the Gospels is cohort. 600 elite Roman soldiers to arrest one guy unarmed by the name of Jesus, if you can imagine. And so Jesus knew that 600 elite Roman soldiers accompanied by a few of the religious leaders were on their way to arrest him. He knew he was going to be arrested, and he knew he was going to be put on the cross the next morning. But he did not want to be arrested in the upper room because between the time that Judas left and the time that he was going to be arrested, there was one more thing that Jesus needed to do. There was one more place where Jesus needed to go. And there was one more painting that Jesus needed to paint. And so he led his disciples from the upper room through the streets of Jerusalem under the cloak of darkness across a deep valley right outside of Jerusalem called the Kidron Valley to a garden at the base of the Mount of Olives. Does that sound familiar to you, the Mount of Olives? We talked about it this morning, the other side of which is the lovely little house where God turns our sorrows into sweetness called Bethany. Bethany on the eastern side, the Garden of Gethsemane on the western side, right across from the city of Jerusalem. Real places. I could take you there today. The Mount of Olives is really called, that's an abbreviated designation, if you translate it literally from the original language, it is often referred to in Jewish and ancient writings as the mountain, not mount, that's an abbreviation, the mountain of olive trees. So I want you to picture a beautiful mountain lavishly covered with olive trees. Olive trees were liquid gold in that culture because olives produce oil. When you get oil from the olives, the oil has multiple uses. You can use olive oil in cooking. You can use olive oil in eating. You can use olive oil as a medicine. You can put olive oil on a wound. You can use olive oil to, well, it was used to anoint kings. Olive oil. Precious. Every drop of it. And so, there was a garden, and in the garden was a grove of olive trees. This particular garden was named Gethsemane. Gethsemane. I've taught you a little bit of Hebrew this week. I've even mentioned a Greek word or two. Now I'm going to teach you Aramaic the third of the biblical languages. Gethsemane is a compound Aramaic word. Gath, gath, means press. Shemen means olive. It is the garden of the olive press. And indeed, today, in the garden of Gethsemane, there is a cave, and in that cave are the ruins 
of what was in Jesus' day two olive presses used to extract the oil from the olives. Am I boring you? I didn't think so. This, I love this stuff. I hope you do too. Thank you for loving it with me. This is amazing. Let me describe for you what an olive press looks like. In the wall of the cave, there is an indentation carved into the wall of the cave. In that indentation is placed one end of a long wooden beam. The end of the long wooden beam is placed there, and the hole in the wall of the cave is big enough that it allows that wooden beam to pivot. You get what I'm saying? Okay. On the other end of that long wooden beam are hung by ropes three huge stones. Each stone weighs in excess of 300 pounds. When put together on the end of that beam, you're talking about a weight in the vicinity of a half a ton. And what happens is this. When they harvest the olives, the process begins literally, are you listening, with a beating. Long sticks are taken, and the olive trees are literally whipped. And as the trees are whipped or beaten, the olives fall to the ground whereon has been placed a sheet to collect the falling olives. It begins with a beating. After the olives fall to the sheet, they are gathered together and they are put into a stone basin. And a gigantic rock in the shape of a wheel is rolled over the top of them in order to, are you listening, crush the olives, crush them. The purpose of crushing the olives is to crack them open. After the olives have been crushed, they are then placed in porous baskets meaning baskets through which a liquid could flow, porous, not solid, baskets. And the crushed olives are placed in these baskets. The baskets are then placed on a stone pillar, at the bottom of which is another basin that is there to collect the oil. Is this making sense to you? And as those, as those baskets of crushed olives are stacked, a big flat rock is put over the top of them, and then that beam is hoisted over so that the center of the beam, on the one end it's pivoting in a hole, on the other end a half a ton of weight, and in the center that beam will rest upon the flat stone, and when the weight half a ton is released that beam will press down upon the sacks of olives. 
And as you look at the sacks of olives being pressed by a half ton weight, the sheer weight of that and the compression of that causes the bags to bleed. And what they are bleeding are drops of olive oil. The word that they use, those who harvest olives, to describe that is that the bags are actually sweating olive oil. And drop by drop, the olive oil will drip into the basin where it is collected. Garden of Gethsemane, the garden of the oil press. Why did Jesus have to go there first? Just listen. Our old friend Matthew. Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to them, sit here while I go over there and pray. He took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, that's James and John, along with him, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Jesus felt like he was dying right then. Stay here and keep watch with me. In other words, he said, you need to see this. Because if you do not see this tonight, you will not understand what is happening to me tomorrow. You need to see this. But the problem is, they didn't. I'll keep reading. Going a little farther, he fell with his face to the ground, and he prayed, My father, if it is possible, may this cup be taken from me. That cup is the cup that holds all of your sins and mine. How much does it weigh? And the punishment that God will pour out on our sins as they are laid upon Jesus. Would you want to face the cross? Would you want to go through what he experienced? But beyond all of the physical torture of it, would you want to bear the weight of every person's sin down through human history and pay the punishment that you and I all deserve? Would you want to pay that? In our place, if you were Jesus, would you not shrink from that too? God, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me, knowing all the while as he prayed that, Jesus knew it wasn't possible. He had to drink of that cup alone, which he would do in less than 12 hours. 
Yet not as I will, he prayed, but as you will. Then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. Now, let me cut them a little bit of slack and show them a little bit of grace. When you partake of a Passover Seder, you consume four cups of wine. It is no wonder that they were so tired. It was a sedative, and they could barely stay awake. That happened three times. Three times. Jesus said, watch. Don't miss this. You have to see this. I need you to understand this or you will not have any idea what is happening tomorrow. And each time he went to the disciples and he woke them up in order to say, you need to see this. I don't want you to miss this. And he even said, I don't want you to miss this because I fear that your faith will fail if you don't see this. And indeed it did. The next day he was crucified and all the disciples ran, except for one, a guy by the name of John. Do you understand what's going on? Neither did they. But Luke did. You will not read this in Matthew. You will not read this in Mark. You will not read this in John. You will only read it in Luke. Because Luke wasn't asleep. And Luke talked to people who saw it. As Jesus knelt in that garden and prayed, Luke describes it in Luke chapter 22, verse 44 that an angel was sent from heaven to give Jesus strength, and then as he prayed, he began to sweat. Listen. Great drops of blood. Dr. Luke understands that is a medical condition very rare called hematidosis where the pressure and the weight is so great that the capillaries break and the blood mixes with perspiration and drips out of the body. I'm not sure you still get it. Jesus was the one in the olive press. That's why he went there it's a picture and your sins and mine are so heavy overwhelmed by the weight of your sin that when they were laid upon Jesus it crushed him so much that he began to sweat but the sweat was his own blood. Listen again to Isaiah. 700 years prior. He was pierced for our rebellion. Crushed 
for our sins. Do those words sound familiar? He was beaten so that we could be whole. He was whipped so that we could be healed. All of us like sheep have strayed away. We have left God's path to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on him, which could be translated, pressed on him in the garden of the olive press, laid on him all of your sins and mine. He didn't just shed his blood on the cross. He started shedding his blood here for you. He had to go to Gethsemane. And it was only after he bled that he heard the clank, clank, clank of a cohort of Roman soldiers led by religious leaders, led by Judas, disturbed the sacred silence of that garden as Jesus knelt there bleeding and they put him in chains. And in order to point out the one they were to arrest, Judas betrayed him with a kiss. And from the garden of the olive press, they led him away to die. Your salvation and mine started right there. That is how much your sin weighs. Final thought. Now you have a choice. You can bear the weight of your sin yourself, or you can thank God that his son bore it in your place. And now that Jesus has done that for you, we haven't even gotten into the agonies of the cross, but I'll not do that tonight. He looks you in the eye, and he makes to you this invitation. Follow me. And that's what I'm asking you to do tonight. I am not asking you, nor is he, to follow a religion. Let's not get all weird about this. We're not asking you to join some kooky religion. We're talking about following a person. And his name is Jesus. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Every head bowed and every eye closed. I know that the majority of you in this outdoor chapel have already made that decision to follow Jesus. And if you have, then I simply and respectfully ask you to pray right now silently for those who haven't. There are those of you in this outdoor chapel tonight who know you haven't yet decided to follow Jesus.
tonight he's asking you to make that choice. It's up to you as to whether you say yes or no. And I know there are some of you who quite honestly are confused. You don't know if you have or not. You think you have or you hope you have or you did something somewhere that you wonder, but you're not really sure. There's this unsettling doubt in your soul, and tonight we can settle that forever. Because no matter what's happened in the past, tonight you can say, I am following Jesus tonight, July 23rd, in the year of our Lord, 2019, and it is exactly 7.30 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time. Okay, here's what we're going to do. Nothing weird, very straightforward. I'm going to lead you in a prayer. And in this prayer, I'm going to do three things. One, I'm going to admit to God that I'm a sinner. You've already admitted that to me. Two, I'm going to thank God that his son went to that garden and to that cross and shed his blood for me and bore the overwhelming weight of my sin. And three, I'm going to say to him tonight, I decide to follow Jesus. Isn't it interesting that the story began in a garden, Gethsemane, and it ended in a garden? After he was crucified and after he died, they put him in a tomb in a garden. That was Friday night. Sunday morning, he walked out alive. You can follow him now. If you've never asked Jesus to come into your life or if you're not sure if you have then I ask you simply and silently right where you're sitting to pray this prayer with me nobody needs to hear you God will hear you and if you are willing to pray this prayer and you mean it Jesus will move into your story he will become the Lord of your life. He will save you from your sins. And your new life begins tonight. So if you've never invited Jesus into your life before, or you're not sure, pray this prayer silently with me right now. Dear Jesus, I admit to you that I am a sinner. And the weight of my sin is overwhelming. Thank you. Thank you for going to a garden, the garden of the olive press, and bearing the weight of my sin, my sin that crushed you and caused you to sweat drops of blood. Thank you that you went to the cross and died for me there. Thank you that you walked out of the tomb alive and live for me now. And now in the best way I know how, I invite you 
to come into my life to save me from my sins, to become the Lord of my life. Jesus, tonight, I choose to follow you. With your heads bowed and eyes closed, I just want you to know if you prayed that prayer just now and meant it, Jesus just did in you the greatest miracle he has ever done. He heard your prayer. He answered your prayer. He's come into your life. He has forgiven your sin, and your life begins all over again. Jesus called it. It's like being born all over again. Congratulations. One more little thing, and we're done. I told you at the beginning of our little talk that everywhere Jesus went, when he looked people in the eye, when he extended his arms to them, and he said to them, follow me, he did it in public. He always did it in public. There's no such thing as a secret follower. So I can do no less. So if you prayed that prayer with me tonight and meant it, I want you to seal that decision in public. I'm not going to bring you down to the front. We don't have any room down here. I'm not going to put a microphone in your face. I'm not going to ask you to say anything with your lips. I'm going to ask you to say a whole lot with your body. I am going to make this statement. Tonight, I have decided to follow Jesus. If you prayed that prayer with me and you meant it, then as soon as I say that without hesitation, I want you to stand to your feet. That's it. By standing, every person in this chapel will know, every angel watching from heaven will know that tonight you decided to follow Jesus. The date is July 23rd in the year of our Lord, 2019, and it is 7, 36 p.m. Pacific Daylight Time, the moment for some of you, your life changed forever. If that's you, plant your feet, get ready. I'm not going to prolong this. You did or didn't, meant it or didn't, so here we go. Ready? Tonight, I have decided to follow Jesus. If that's you, stand to your feet so that we can celebrate the moment with you. God bless you. Keep standing for a minute, all right, because I want to pray over you. Anyone else? Don't let this moment pass you by. Please, you've said no to him for too long. It's not too late to join these who have incredible courage and to stand. Anyone else? Father, we are so grateful for touching these lives tonight. Hallelujah. And I know that every angel in heaven is rejoicing over what you have just done. Thank you for a glorious evening. Thank you for what you've done. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If your friends are on their feet, run over to them. Give them a hug. Celebrate the moment. Counselors, share with your students. And look, if you're still holding out, you're still holding out, get with your counselor, pray a prayer, and tell him or her, I'm going to follow Jesus too. All right? All right. God bless you all, and I will see you in the morning.